Thanks for joining us today at Redemption Hill. We are a community learning together to walk in the way of Jesus. Redemption Hill meets Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Find the details at redemptionboise.org. We believe that being in community is a vital part of learning to walk in the way of Jesus. So we hope that you can connect on Sunday mornings or with one of our micro churches that meet around the city. Learn more about who we are by going to redemptionboise.org slash connection. Join our Facebook group, Redemption Hill Boise, and follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. something to write with, whether it's your phone or a piece of paper and a pencil. But what I want you to do, we, we've been talking a bit about how we follow Jesus and everything about who we are as a people, as the people of Jesus, want to be shaped by the way of Jesus. His methods, his attitudes, his style, his relationships, we want every piece of what we do to look more like Jesus. And last week we talked about how Jesus is an expression of the God who is sent and the God who does the sending. So what I want you to do is I want you to take the next three, four, five minutes. We're going to give a little bit of space. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the people that you spend your time with. I want you to think about where you live and who you're connected to. I want you to think about people who like you, people who listen to you, people who serve you, people that you serve. I, want, I just want you to start making a list has put you in the in your life with people you spend your life with and uh and, and we're gonna we're gonna spend the morning thinking about those people and what god might have for them that we participate with god in so just take the next few minutes and just just write i'm gonna do the same thing while i'm sitting up here and uh we'll get going so take a few minutes lord god i pray that as we as we listen as we write that our our hearts are sensitive to you that you bring people to our mind that you bring um, areas of our lives and groups of people and places that we live places that we inhabit bring them to the forefront may your spirit just soften us and we, we remember the people that you've brought into our lives who love us who listen to us who serve us who we serve them lord god
Lord God, we know that these, these lists, the, the people that inhabit them, they're not just lists and names, but they're, they're children. They're people that you love, that you made, that you call your own, that you are working to reconcile them to yourself. You are working to see them become who they were meant to be as followers of the way. We pray that you would work in powerful ways to create opportunities for us to see what you're up to in their lives. God, bring people to our mind even as we listen today, as we listen to your word, be at work. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the band can grab a seat. We're going to be in, we'll start out in John chapter 20 today. I've been thinking a lot about how God the Father is not, um, he's not immune to the risks and the costs of sending and going, you know? Like uh, when, when the Father sends the Son, he is, the way that he tells the story is he sees it as he's like a vineyard owner who sends his son to go, um, to go manage his estate, and when he sends his son, his son gets killed there. That's the way that the father viewed what was going to happen when he sent the son. And so sending and, and, and being sent, the ones who go, there's such a high cost. Um, there's such a high risk involved. There's, there's financial risk. Anytime you go somewhere, uh, anytime you pack up your bags or your home and you go somewhere else, there's incredible risk involved. Uh, when Malia and I moved to Boston 11 years ago, uh, we packed up everything we had, we sold our house, and we spent almost probably, it was probably $10,000 through the, the move and the cost of getting there. Just leaving where you are and going somewhere, there's enormous cost. When you leave behind home and you go out and you step out, um, you're giving up all of the social capital that you need to make your life work. You're giving up your family, you're giving up your friends, you're giving up those long-term connections, the people who trust you and know you. When you step out, there's such high cost. Um, there's even, if you've ever moved, um, I've moved a lot, there's a really high physical cost to moving. Like, you just take your stuff and you sell it or you pack it up. What does it take? It takes weeks of your life, evenings of, of painting and getting your house ready of packing up and making decisions of where things should go and where they shouldn't go. There's really high emotional cost when we, when we leave. It requires something of us. When we step out from where we're comfortable, it requires boldness, a, a real deep sense that when I step out, I trust that something out there is going to be good, better than what I have now that there is something beyond what I'm experiencing now that could be better than what I have, and it takes boldness to step into it. It requires courage, like a true fortitude in your belly that says, I'm going to push through the, the really risky parts of what I'm about to do. And it requires trust. It's really foolish to leave home. I don't know if you realize that, but when you leave home, like it's a, it's a really foolish move because you're giving up all these things that have been given to you. And so when you step out, it requires trust that you're not on your own. That along the road, you'll be met with what you need. That you'll find people along the road who will be 
in it with you, who will care for you, who will give you the sort of hospitality that you need. Because when you're out on the road, they don't have any, they don't have any relationship with you. They don't have any trust with you. And, and you have to trust that they're going to care for you in ways that maybe you don't expect. Last week, we jumped into John chapter 20, which is kind of the, the formative verse that I, we want to hit on during this series. We talk about how missio, this idea of sending and sentness, is not just an idea that has to do with us as the church, but is the very nature of God. So in John chapter 20, verse 21, this is after Jesus has died and has risen again, and he's appearing to his disciples. And this is right after Thomas has, has questioned if, if the Father, or right before Thomas questions if, if he is truly there. That Sunday evening, verse 19, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them and said, Peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me so am I sending you. And then he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The very first thing Jesus does, these people aren't even sure if Jesus is real, okay? Like he's appearing to them in bodily form after he's already died, and they're just trying to take it in. And before they can even wrap their heads around it, Jesus says, listen, there's not much time. I'm bringing shalom, the kingdom right now, so, I'm sending you out. And then he breathes on them his Holy Spirit and then basically pushes them out the door to tell the world about the good news that the Messiah has come, that he died and he rose again. So when we watch all these things about Jesus, we really want to be diving into, okay, how does he do what he does? But first we've got to start out with our identity is we are sent ones. We are missionaries, sent ones. Every single person who falls in the way of Jesus is sent by Jesus. So, uh, yeah, let's jump into Mark chapter 6 today. That's what, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but I want to I touch on some key passages to see this illustrated. Mark chapter 6. Now, this is really early on in Jesus' ministry, okay? So, he's, he's probably still in the first year of his ministry, and let's be honest, the disciples were really slow to understand what Jesus was doing, okay? They really didn't know what he was doing. They, they thought that he was really neat. They thought that he did cool stuff, and they wanted to participate in it, but they really didn't understand it. But pretty early on, so Jesus is, spends time in Galilee, up in the north of Israel, and is rejected by his hometown in Nazareth. So he's been in Galilee. He has been teaching in Galilee. He's been working around the towns around the north of Galilee, around the Decapolis, and then he's rejected in Nazareth. They basically say, listen, this guy is just a carpenter's son from our town. He's nothing special. And they reject the words of Jesus. So this is what Jesus does in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Mark. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave the town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. 
So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and return to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Jesus, with these guys don't know anything, okay? Like these disciples, they really don't get what he's doing. And what does he do? He pushes them out the door. Two by two, he says, you're going to hit the road and you're going to teach people what I've told you. Now, in, uh, in our modern times, the way that we talk about it as church leaders or even in, within our businesses, you probably experience this in your work. People are like, we need to be really careful. We need a very specific training program so that people know exactly how to deal with anything that's going to come up. They probably need a four-year degree, and if they get an advanced degree in their field, that would be preferable because then they're ready to step out there. But Jesus has a different ethos in the way that he enters into the work that he's doing. Jesus sends out the 12 before they really know anything. And then pretty soon we see him sending out the 72, this even larger group where he says, go, preach the gospel, tell them the kingdom's coming, and if people come along, drive out evil spirits and heal them by laying hands on them. And Jesus takes these 72 folks that he barely knows and they barely know him and he pushes them out and says, get out on the road. And then we see, so we see the 12, we see the 72 and then at the end of his life when Jesus is sending out his disciples, there's 120 that are, that are sitting in the upper room and they become the beginning of this movement and they, they're not even sure if they believe Jesus rose from the dead and before they even believe that he's really who he said he was, they're just starting to kind of make sense of it. He pushes them out the door and says, go make disciples. Teach them everything. And this, uh, that, that John 20 passage is a lot like the Great Commission passages where we see Jesus at the very end of his life as, as he's on the mountain about to ascend to the Father. He tells them, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He just pushes them out the door. And then at Pentecost, the 120 receive the Spirit. They go out in the streets, and 3,000 people take hold of this message of Jesus. And so when we see a story like this, I think it's easy to kind of look at it as this, uh, that's the way Jesus did it, but we don't do it that way. It's easy to kind of push it back into the first century and say, that's not the way that we do things. But remember, we want to take everything that Jesus did, his attitudes, his methods, his style, the way that he did relationships, and we want to emulate it. And so when we look at ministry and we look at what we do here at Redemption Hill, we want everything we do to be shaped just like Jesus's ministry. And so the method of Jesus is this. He gives permission early. Before he's even sure where they're at or what they believe, he gives permission for them to be a part. He calls people out and says, do you want to be part of this thing? Hit the road and share what you've learned. Get out there. And too often in, in church today, you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops. You show up, you got to be around for a while, and then once you're around for a while and you serve in, in one way, then you get opportunities to serve in other ways. And Jesus was like, here's the message, here's the ministry, get on the road and share it with everybody that you find. And so I, what we have wanted from the very beginning is to have a permission-giving culture at Redemption Hill. Don't wait for me to ask you to do what God has called you to do. 
the things that he speaks to your heart in, in your quiet time, the things that you sense him doing in your workplace. Don't wait for permission to get out there. Just go do it and then tell us what you're doing. Tell us the story of how God's working in your life. Don't wait for us to tell you to go do it. We believe in high trust. We, we believe that you cannot earn trust. You can only be given trust as a gift. And so we start by giving away trust and then letting you demonstrate that you're trustworthy. And so before you've ever tried, we're going to put you out there and give you opportunities. And we have, a, we have an experimentation culture. You don't have to do things just right the first time or lose the opportunity. Just like Jesus, we're going to send you out, and some of us are going to make messes where we go out. Some of us are going to make mistakes where we go. But we're going to trust that along the way you're going to learn because mistakes and trying are the only way that we learn things. We also see in this passage in particular, there's, there's, a, there's a way that Jesus tells us to approach the world that's different than maybe what we've heard. In, in, a, in a lot of church culture, what we do is we say, hey, go till that hard soil. Go after those hard places. But what Jesus tells us his, his way of doing mission was is to go out and throw out a bunch of seed and see what sticks. And then where there's fruit, Enter into those places where there's not fruit, pull away. What he says is, if they welcome you, if they receive you into their home, and they listen to what you have to say, then dive in. That's the place God's called you to. When there's, when there's opportunity for the gospel, dive in in those places. And where you're not welcome, you don't have to stick around like a martyr and get beat up by the people who don't want Jesus. It's okay for you to say, you know what, blessings on you. And I'm just going to head somewhere else because this isn't a place that's receptive to the way of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say that I think that there's deep and long-lasting fruitfulness that comes from staying in a place and being a faithful witness to Christ where you are. We see that over and over again, where when you plant yourself and you make yourself a known quantity and you let people taste the blessings of God's kingdom through your service to them, God works in powerful ways. But we also know that sometimes we're beating our head against a wall with someone who is opposed to Jesus and doesn't want to enter into the way. And instead of saying, you know what, now's not the time. When you're ready, we can get, jump back in. Instead, we push and we pry and we, we try to make them believe. But Jesus is saying he has a plan and a purpose and a timeline for everybody. And so he didn't have to worry that people weren't going to get it. Whether it was Nazareth or people on the road, he could say, that's okay if they don't get it, move on to the next place and see how they receive it. I, I've been constantly amazed throughout my life. I spent a lot of years teaching 15 and 16-year-olds how to be a part of God's kingdom mission. And 15 and 16-year-olds... I love them, but they don't, have, they don't have a lot of knowledge and they don't have a lot of experience and they don't have a lot to offer. But time and time again, every time we challenge them to step out and share the hope they have in Christ and see where God's at work, powerful things happen. On, on beaches, uh, in school hallways, on the playing field, in their, in their living rooms while they're playing video games, 15 and 16-year-olds will tell their friends about the hope they have in Jesus and see fruit come. And too often we say, you know what, we need to make sure that you've got all the training you need, but in reality we just need willing people who say, I'm going to go out, I'm going to share the good news that I've heard and invite people to respond. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, I think it's going to be behind me too. 
Matthew chapter 15, verse 24 is where we're going to start. All right, Matthew 15, verse 24. Then Jesus, this is Jesus engaging with a, a Gentile woman. And Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and she worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, isn't it right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs? Now, this is probably the rudest thing Jesus says. I don't know if you just saw Jesus called all Gentiles dogs when he called the Israelites like the children of God. Now, I'm not going to dive into that, but what you're going to see is that that's not God's heart. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. When we're sent out as a part of this mission of God to bring his fruitful kingdom away to the world, um, he sends us not to everybody. There's seven point some billion people on earth, and you don't have what they all need. Too often we have this, these Messiah complexes about like we need to be the ones that, that do the work and bring the healing to the nations. When in reality, what God wants you to do is go where you're called, the specific places that he's invited you into. Not everyone is going to reach everyone else. You have particular places at particular times. We see Jesus was sent particularly to the lost sheep of Israel because they were the ones who understood and were waiting for the Messiah. They were primed and ready. But he wasn't going to miss out on opportunities that came up along the way. Now, um, I, I spent a lot of years reaching teenagers, but along the way, even though that was my particular calling and gifting, uh, along the way, I, I would have people that I worked with, people that were neighbors, people that were friends who showed interest in the way of Jesus. And I didn't tell them, you know what? I work with teenagers. That's my calling. That's my gifting. I'm going to get you in touch with somebody who's a specialist in lonely old neighbors, okay? <laughs> I have someone, they're just great at that. Let me give them a call. I didn't hand them off. When people came along and there was opportunity, I jumped in because that's the way the gospel works is we're called to particular things, but along the journey and the places that we're called, God meets us along the way. And what we see is that there's this principle of the people of peace. God brings along people who are drawn to us inexplicably. We are not really, um, you know, like there there are really pretty people in the world and people are drawn to them. And we're not all just incredibly beautiful people here. You guys are nice looking people, but none of us are just like gorgeous, uh, tall, you know, like really talented people. Like we're, you guys are great, but we're just all pretty normal average people. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep you all humble. Don't want to, don't want to make anybody feel too, too high and mighty. But inexplicably, even some of the weirdest among us, God is, God is, God draws people to us. God draws people to you. The way that you're into that strange, you know, esoteric card-playing game that no one else plays. Like, that's you. And there's some people that are drawn to that. 
There's something about you and your history that draws your neighbors to you or about the place that you're in. And God brings along these people, we call them people of peace because they're primed and ready to experience God in you and in your life. And so we need to be having our eyes open to where there's opportunity. And Jesus is walking along the road and this Gentile woman is so desperate that she reaches out and demands that Jesus give her the scraps that Israel throws out. And it's, it's supposed to be contrasted with these towns of Jewish people that are rejecting Jesus or not receiving his message. And the Gentiles come up and say, give us, give us just the, the table scraps. And my dog will eat anything that falls off our table. She is the worst dog on the planet. I love her, but she's the worst. But she will take whatever she can get because she's so desperate for the food from our table. And when you come along and somebody is not in your wheelhouse, but God brings them into your life, it's because they're desperate and they're hungry and they're looking for what you have to offer. And many times they're not the people that we want to be a part of our life. They're drawn to us and we're like, all right, these are the people. These are the people God's brought me. And so we, we create this hospitable table where they can belong. We need to be looking and saying, where is our particular people in our particular place? Where has God sent you? That list that we made earlier. I want you to take a look at it. I want you to think about it. I want you to say, what are the people that God has brought me to? How has he placed me there? And what are the opportunities and the needs? And who are the people that are drawn to you? Who are the people of peace in your life that inexplicably think that you're cool? I don't know why, but they think you're cool. They want to be a part of your life. How do you create space for them? All right, let's go to Acts chapter 13. Let's jump into the New Testament age after Pentecost, where we see the church coming alive, and we see some of these same things at play. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Among the prophets and the teachers at the church at Antioch of Syria. So Antioch was like the, it was the very first like mission-sending center. They'd built up this training school, and they had a bunch of micro-churches throughout the city that were raising up leaders that they just sent out from their churches, that they had, they had seen a, a significant movement of God in Antioch, and they were the ones who were going to send out the missionaries that would go to Asia Minor. So among the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, I like that we get kind of the biography here, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. I love this little picture that we see in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 because it's the way that we think about leadership as the body of Christ. We talk a lot about Ephesians 4 and how we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers who as a team lead the body of Christ with their gifts that build up the church for the mission that they're called to. And what we see here is there's these prophets and teachers, the ones who listen to God and the ones who teach the way of Jesus. And they were listening to God in prayer. They were worshiping. And God spoke to them specifically and said, take Barnabas and Saul, and we're going to... Sorry, take uh, Silas and... No, Barnabas and Saul. There we go. Barnabas and Saul and send them out as a team to go to the place where I will show them. They sent them on their way. This is what happens. The church listens to God. We anoint those who have special giftings, and we send them out to start 
new communities, to be missionaries to their neighborhoods, to go across the world. We listen to God and we respond to His work. The prophets and the teachers listen and send. The apostles, the sent ones, they hit the road and they go to new places. We see in the Great Commission, the Holy Spirit is given to them and and Jesus tells them it's time to hit the road. Go and make disciples of all nations. And it's never alone. You will never find a single place in the New Testament where someone is sent off alone to do mission. There are no lone rangers or singular messiahs. The only one who didn't have a messiah complex was, ironically, the actual messiah. Like, he had a team around him. He had 12 guys. He had 72 guys. He would send, he'd do mission with. And too often we think that we're on our own and we've got to do this thing on our own. But here's the thing. God has given you each other. That's why we do microchurch as teams, because we believe that we are drawn to each other to do work together, to be missionaries to our neighborhoods. And so the question isn't just who are you sent to, but who are you sent with? We're going to be talking more about this as we go, but I want you to start thinking about, like, who has God uniquely connected you with and knit your hearts together for a particular mission or place? Who in your family? Who in your friend circle? Who in your neighborhood? Um, we've been seeing, when we moved into our neighborhood, we, we've been praying for four and a half years that God would bring partners that lived on our street, that lived in our neighborhood, who would be a part of helping us reach the West Bench, who would be a part of helping us reach the kids at our kids' school at Mountain View. And just the last year, we've seen just like God brings friends and partners in strange ways. Um, the the Pavlishes, they're friends of ours that just happened to move a half mile away and join here at Redemption Hill and their kids are going to be going, they're going to Wonder School and they're going to be going to Mountain View. And all of a sudden, like God has knit us together in mission. Our friends, the, um, the Dreys, they moved in right next, like right down the street from the Pavishes, about a half mile from our house. Their kids are all going to school with our kids and God has knit us together in this opportunity for mission in our neighborhood. God brings people along to work with you and the question is, who has brought, God brought along with you? where you are, to the people that he sent you to. I, I think, so we've got to be asking, who has God sent us to? Where has he sent us? And who has he sent us with? I, I like these passages because we see different things come to light about the way that mission works. And we should be asking, okay, what does that look like? Um, I, in, the first, in the first century, the mission and the gospel that was going to go out from Jerusalem to India to England all the way to, like, South Africa, like this, this mission in the first generation just spreads throughout the world. It happens because of one thing and one thing only. Do you guys know the, the means by which the gospel was taken to the world? It was the Roman road, the literal Roman road. They had built it to, to build an empire. They had built out this immense empire that reached three continents and that was used for their military to move swiftly from the hills of Greece and Rome all the way to the other side of the world. And these, these roads were built so that Rome could dominate the entire known world. But it's funny, God loves to use these sorts of inventions like the Roman road to do his kind of work. 
We see that with the Appian Way, this, the via, the, the road of the ancient Roman world. Um, ironically, like the way and road are the literal same thing. So when we say like the way of Jesus, the, the via, the road of Jesus, it's the same thing as the Roman road. And so I want you to think when you hear the way, I want you to think the road. That's what we're called to. We saw the same thing in the 1500s where uh, the, the Gutenberg press brought out the very first mass-printed Bible that was widely available throughout Europe, and it transformed the way that the gospel was going to be brought to the world. It brought on uh, not only the Protestant Reformation, but also the Renaissance. The world was transformed by this technology. God loves to use things like, um, like novelty to overcome apathy and create opportunity for the gospel. Um, you see in the early 20th century how radio as a mass communication strategy transforms the way that people hear the gospel. All of a sudden, every nook and cranny of the United States had access to the gospel because it was over the air. It was, it was literally spirited to them into their homes through these machines that were built for them. You see that anytime uh, new things happen, where there's gospel innovations and people discover new ways of communicating the gospel, that it, it brings transformation to people's lives. When there's ways that we tell stories and language and even, even new things like church plants are ways that God brings his gospel to the world. And so when, when we're thinking about how we're going to be a part of what God's doing, the question is, like, what's happening where, where people are, where you're sent to, the people that you're sent to, and how can you do something different? Because it requires us to be jarred out of our place. We've got to be moved from where we're at to accept and experience God because we're in these ruts in our lives and we're just moving along the, the train tracks that have been given to us and as we move along those train tracks, it literally takes a jarring movement to get us to move from where we're going to where we could be going. And so what I want you to think about is how can, when the world is zigging, how can you zag? When the world is offering up a constant stream of entertainment, how can you invite people into purpose? Did you know that that's the thing that most people need right now? Most of the young adults in your life are dying and drifting because they don't have a narrative of why they exist and what they're here for. The world tells them you're here to derive pleasure from the people around you, from the work that you do, instead of telling them that they have a particular purpose, that they were built for something, and that their life matters so much that if they're not here, the world misses out on their unique contribution. And so the kids around us need to be told something different than the narrative that they're given. And so we have to be the bearers of that. But I want you to be thinking, what novel way can we bring the gospel to light in the people's lives around us? You, my friends, we, the church, are sent. That's our primary identity and nature. We are sent. If you're a follower in the way of Jesus, you are a missionary, period. Nobody gets out of it because just as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends you. You are a missionary. And as missionaries, the road is your life. Jesus spent almost all of his time along the road. So I want you to be really diving into these two questions this week. Who has God sent you to? And where has he sent you? 
And here's the thing. I, I don't think that that means you've got to get on a plane and go across the world. I literally think that your life is full of mission. There's all sorts of people around you who are dying to experience God's love and his care for them. They're looking for the sort of kingdom shalom that will bring the peace that they're looking for. And so what does this all mean for us as a community? First is this. We want our mission to look like the mission of Jesus. So we're going to be a, a culture of high permission. If Jesus tells you to go, go. You don't need permission from me to do the thing that he puts on your heart. Now, I'm here, and our team is here to help facilitate that. We want to dream with you about the way that he's calling you, the way he's equipping you, the team that he's putting around you, and help you discover a way to do it. That's what we do. That's my favorite thing in the world is sitting down with people who have some idea and helping them figure out how to get there. I'm uniquely made and called to do that. And so let me be your, your guide and your friend and your resource along that journey. Go and do what God does. The second is we're going to be a culture of high trust. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you're going to make terrible mistakes trying to get out there and see God at work in the world. But that's okay. That's really okay. You don't have to do it perfectly. Um, if you've noticed, we've had... I think like 15 people preach from this stage over the last three and a half years. Now, were all of them great? No. I mean, some of them were difficult. Like, there, there's some that weren't, weren't so great, including a lot of mine. Like, that's just like the reality of it. But we believe that by doing it and by getting out there and by getting better at it, we honor God. And so don't wait till you've got your, your messy life together before God calls you out. Before the disciples were saved, before they knew Jesus was the Messiah, before they understood what the kingdom was, before they understood what the resurrection was, before they understood what God was doing, he sent them out and gave them a message. And so I want to tell you, you're called and equipped. You have the message. Most of you have grabbed hold of this message of God's kingdom and his work in your life. And so go make disciples. Share in the world. And the third thing that I, I want to pull from our scriptures today is this, that teams are better than individuals. You're better together than you are alone. And so what I want you to ask is, who has God called you alongside and with to go on mission? You, we are sent as a community, but it, honestly, there's a lot of passions and gifts and places that we're all called. We probably have 20,000 people that are connected to the people in this room. They have very different... Um, things that they're passionate about, places that they live, geographically spread out. But together, as we go and we mission where we're called and then we gather together on Sundays to share the story of what God's doing in our lives and in the places where we're called, it, it may be that like, like Val, you're called to hang out with preschoolers day in and day, day out and let them experience God's love. It may be that, like Clint, you're called to lead an organization that brings flourishing to young girls in our community. It may be that, like Ernie, you're called to a workplace where you go and you connect with the people that you work with primarily and do some technical work. Whatever your calling in place is, go do it and then come tell us what you're up to. Take someone along with you. And your microchurch is hopefully going to be the primary place that those things happen, where you're getting together. And we're going, to be, we're going to be kind of redeveloping that along the lines of mission and calling over the next six months, so don't worry about it. But as you're together next week with your microchurch, 
I want you to spend some time dreaming together. Just start asking, where is God at work? Take your list, bring your list with you to your microchurch next week and share the context that God has placed you in, the people that he sent you to. Or maybe even for some of you, God put a dream in your heart. God put a people in your heart. God put a place in your heart a long time ago and he's left it there to wait for you to grab hold of it. I want you to tell your microchurch next week those dreams and those callings and those, those places that he's called you to. Share your list. Then I want you to, we're stepping into a time as we grab hold of our callings and identities as missionaries, we're going to step into some extraordinary prayer and fasting in the season because we believe that when we fast and pray, we hear God's voice better. We clear the deck so that we can hear what he's doing. We can be clear about where he's calling us and who he's calling us along with. So I want you next week in your microchurch to pray for our city. I want you to pray for those people of peace that he's put into your life. And I want you to pray for your neighborhood. Because when we pray for our neighbors, what happens is God brings to light the opportunities that we have for the gospel. He reminds us that they're people of peace. He reminds us of those inroads for the gospel. He reminds us of those unique ways he's called us and equipped us to go live on mission. Um, and I, I always think after, after these talks that are kind of like high challenge and high like, hey, let's go grab it that I need to, like, soften it with. Now, of course, there are times in your life where you're... No, I'm, I'm not going to do that today. I, we, we, I, I step into invitation a lot, and I, I try to soften it. But I, I want you to grab hold of not the work of mission, but the identity of mission. You have been bought with a price. The Lord of all lords and the King of all kings has come, has made a way for you to experience the life that only He can provide. And now our job is to be sent out, bearers of the gift, so that the world might know that the God of the universe loves them and cares for them in a way that they could never understand. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and I'm going to pray. And what I want you to do when you come forward today to receive communion, I want you to remember that communion is the gospel. And so when you're grabbing hold of this little wafer and this little, you know, plastic thing full of grape juice, I want you to remember that this is the story of the gospel and that receiving it, you're taking on your identity as one who's been sent out. Along with the one who died and rose again for us, you grab hold of it and receive it into yourself. When his spirit entered you, when you received Christ... You became a part of this worldwide mission that was sent to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come forward during this next song to receive, the off, to receive um, communion, I pray that it knits our hearts together, not in just the salvific work of Christ, but in our calling and identity as ones who have been bought with a price, ones who are sent out as missionaries a part of your work in this world. God, I pray that as we think, as we walk, as we listen to you, as we pray, that you bring to our minds people of peace who are vital parts of what you're doing in our lives and what you're calling us to. I pray that they, they wouldn't ever um, slip from our minds, that we would just be so overwhelmed with the need and opportunity of the gospel with the people in our life and where you've sent us that we can't think but to say, God, send me. Use me. 
even though I don't know what to do and what to say, send me like you sent the disciples before they knew anything. And let us receive the opportunity that you have set before us to bring sight to the blind, to lay hands and bring healing to the masses, to bring freedom to the oppressed, and to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. Lord God, have your way as you shape us and knit us together as the community of Jesus' people here in the West Bench. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Redemption Hill Boise. We encourage you to join our Facebook group, Redemption Hill Boise, and to follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. Thanks for tuning in this week, and we will see you next time.